0: Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer and joined this time by Purple Insider's Matthew Collar. Matt, thanks for joining. Yeah, I am
1: happy to be here. We are fresh off a very aggressive OTA practice. And you know, nothing gets me more excited about football than uh, an 85-degree day with Canadian smoke in the air as Brian Flores' defense plays more physically than anybody wanted. But uh, it was, uh, you know, it's uh, we're trying to do our best to get some little observations here and things like that. So it's fun to be out there again.
0: As Greg Joseph is just drilling kicks through the uh, smoke particles, you can almost see burnt pine needles as he's just drilling these things through the uprights. So Matthew, I wanted to play a little game with you. We always like to have fun when we have you on the show. Everybody, please check out his work at purpleinsider.com. He also does a daily podcast that I'm sure uh, if you listen to this one, you are probably aware of that one. Um, Matt, but we like to have fun here. And I know Quasi likes to have fun talking about stocks and Wall Street money. Um, he likes to compare players to, uh, sometimes, and this is the time of year where we are wondering what direction players are headed as they bring in Brian Flores, as you mentioned with a new defense, a lot of new players, new faces being asked to do new things uh, on offense as well. And so I want to get to kind of just test the waters, test the temperature on how you're feeling on these guys to let fans know what they should be thinking about a lot of these players after the spring uh offseason workouts here as we head into training camp eventually um but let's start with the fact that people are talking about like Dalvin Cook already gone we're we're going to talk about him like hey Ty Chandler is already the number 2 running back uh, he better be ready for another uh, a bigger role uh, Alexander Madison's already at the twitter banner on on @vikings uh replacing Dalvin Cook um are you buying selling or just kind of watching Alexander Madison at this point where are you at with him Yeah. It was funny when uh,
1: Wes Phillips was asked about Ty Chandler and he, it was something like, well, is he going to be ready? And he better be. (laughs) It's like, why is that Wes? Why, what do you, whatever do you mean? Uh, But uh, yeah. Okay. So I think that that's a fair assumption at this point. Um, Although I never underestimate the Vikings ability to keep bringing players back, but that has changed quite a bit this off season. As far as Madison goes, I am buying Alexander Madison to a point. So I think that Madison, when he has had opportunities to play for Delvin cook, he's been quite good Uh, as a rotational back. He barely ever saw the ball. And a lot of times it was coming in at the goal line or short yardage situation or something. So I don't really know what to make of his yards per carry. I also think yards per carry in general can be very much dictated by circumstance, how you're used, where you are in the field, um, the offensive line blocking for a particular play. So when you get 70 carries, I'm not sure how seriously to take that because earlier in his career, we saw Madison getting 4.5, 4.6 yards per carry in you know Kevin Stefanski's offense and when he got a little more time as the regular running back. So I'm buying him as a guy who can be very Latavius Murray-esque, someone who I don't see breaking off 80-yard touchdown runs. I don't see him making the NFL's highlight reel multiple times on the best 100 plays of the year like Delvin Cook did last year. But I also think that he has a lot of very solid elements to his game, high intelligence player. I think he catches the ball really well where last year they did not throw to their running backs very much. I think you can use him a little bit more in that passing game, especially with so much attention going to Jefferson. And I think the other weapons are going to draw a lot of uh, attention as well. You can't cover everybody. And Madison, I think actually has really good hands in comparison to Delvin cook where it mostly, and I know he made some good catches in his career, but mostly had to be screen passes. If you were throwing him the ball Um, but there's another part of me though, that says Ty Chandler could just take this thing away from him. Right. I mean, they want a running back. Who's going to be trusted, but Ty Chandler's got some burst and he's got some vision. He's got some natural skill that if he even gets to 75% of the receiving game and the pass blocking game, he might just be faster and more of a home run threat And I don't know if it's going to happen right away, but maybe throughout the season, we start to see a transition to Ty Chandler getting more action because it's going to be who's playing the best. And if Ty Chandler during training camp looks like he's really got it, I think he could be the guy. Um, So I am tentatively buying Alexander Madison stock with also the possibility that Chandler just up and steals that job away from him because he's quicker.
0: Yeah, there are two things that concern me about Alexander Madison. It's, it's what you mentioned, but more in the vein of not so much Ty Chandler's good, which I think we've seen flashes of. We have, but it's is Alexander Madison really stepping into the Dalvin Cook role, which even with Kevin O'Connell last year was like a pretty much workhorse role for what they were asking him to do, which wasn't a lot. It was, you know, league lows in terms of rushing attempts and all those things. They just weren't to run heavy offense. But if they were, it was going to Dalvin Cook. Is that going to be the case with Alexander Madison? Or are we going to see more of a 60-40, 60-20-20, whatever breakdown if they start getting more of a committee involved and in using these guys' skill sets differently? Uh, a guy like Kene Wong, has all the talent in the world, but doesn't seem to have the nuance for the position that gets him on the field. Ty Chandler already seems to have that step up because he showed that nuance last year as a rookie right away, and he's already like a, what was he, a 45-year-old rookie? He was pretty old. Um, he was a Hendon Hooker-style rookie. Um, but I, I do think that this team might transition to more of a committee backfield where Madison's leading it, but not necessarily any kind of workhorse. And then how much is Kevin O'Connell really going to be running the football? Wes Phillips mentioned again, CJ ham and 21 personnel. And I'm like, be still my beating heart, but I'm not going to believe you because I need to see it before I believe that this Rams offense is going to truly transition into and lean into a position that as Wes said, and as they keep saying, we didn't even have an LA. We didn't even have a fullback. Um, they they ran the ball a lot at times when they had Todd Gurley, yes. But when you've got Justin Jefferson and you've got a, a quarterback that you can really lean on in the passing game to get the ball to the right areas, how much are they really gonna run it? And how much is that role really gonna be worth to Alexander Madison?
1: Oh, real quick, and I, I'm sure you got more of these, so I don't want to spend too much time on like one. You know, subject. But I think that them talking about using Josh Oliver and CJ Ham is almost like if I was going to France and I got an app that taught me how to speak French. (laughs) When I got there, I might know some stuff to say, but I'm not fluent in French. It's sort of the same way with this, where it's like Gary Kubiak is fluent in boots and that man (laughs) is going to run two tight ends and then boots and he knows how to do it but last year it almost seemed like when do we put cj ham on the field uh now it's like kind of random and it didn't have this conduciveness to it where they know what they're doing in 11 personnel so i agree with you that this is not suddenly turning into a kubiak style offense just because they brought in or kept some big dudes And I think what could keep Madison on the field a ton is the pass blocking because they're going to pass all the time. And so, I mean, it it might not come down to, is Ty Chandler faster? It might just come down to, we're going to throw 65% of the time. So you need to be in there to block. And when you're running the bootlegs and play actions, I mean, still you need your running back to be good at blocking as well. So I, I think that that's probably playing in his favor. I don't think he's running for 1500 yards. If I were to guess, I'd say like, 750 yards rushing 30 catches, something like that. And, uh, you know, the kind of the rest is spread out between the other backs, but I do think Chandler has the opportunity to completely change that. I just, we're just going to have to see it first.
0: Yeah, we will. Um, all right. What about Jordan Addison? First round pick is not practiced at all with an injury picked up in a rookie minicamp, which would have been his first practice with the Minnesota Vikings or one of them, uh, in that two day rookie minicamp back in May. Um, we're not sure if he's going to get out there with with mandatory minicamp next week but I think the Vikings are going to keep him on ice probably till training camp. Does that matter and are you buying or selling him?
1: Oh, stock through the floor, total bust. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> the look on your face.
0: I thought you were uh, serious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, I, it has been brought to my attention a handful of times that um, sometimes people don't know when I'm joking. Uh, and that is very clear from doing a <laughs> podcast every day <laughs> from the comments. But anyway, uh, no, I, I, mean, I, I don't do anything with his stock right now from him being out um, it, I think hurts him a little because it's all building blocks. It starts from the ground and the OTAs and mini camp are a part of this, but it's really not a huge part until you're out there for training camp. So I think we're going to have to start to see it in training camp. I mean, that said, I am winning our milkshake bet that KJ Osborne is going to have more receptions than Jordan Addison. I don't think it's anything to be concerned about, but, You are talking about several injuries over his last six months in football, going back to USC or however many months, going back to USC combine here. Like the guy's been a little bit banged up. Uh, I think from a long-term perspective, his route running, his football IQ, his passion for the game, his hands, his playmaking, all those things could make him a great NFL wide receiver, but I mean, maybe compare him to Jahan Dotson or somebody last year in Washington, I think they loved what they saw from him. And he had like 35 catches that might be Jordan Edison this year that a lot of times when you draft someone, you just, okay, the, the guy's going to be Justin Jefferson. Here he comes. He's going to be a big star. But over the years, we have seen players come in and right away, Christian saw. Okay. I guess I kind of see it. And then the guy takes off in the second year and becomes really good. I, I think that maybe more patience is going to be required for him because of his size. And if he does get banged up, then maybe some of the fantasy world believes from what the projections that I've seen or things like that. Um, so I, I guess that's just being reasonable about a draft pick in general, um, but I'm not going to change anything. I thought about the pick or think about him based on the fact that he's had to miss a couple OTA practices.
0: Yeah. Jahan Dotson's an interesting uh, comparison just because That's obviously a guy where he was the number two wide receiver, Terry McLaurin being the guy who was the go-to. And when you're in Justin Jefferson's orbit, there's only so much to go around. You're always going to be the counterpunch. And the Vikings have a few counterpunches if they want the run game to be one, TJ Hawkinson to be one, and so forth. And, oh yeah, KJ Osborne, who Matt Collar has a milkshake riding on, will have more catches than Jordan Addison in 2023. I still think it's going to be Addison just because... He's going to be healthy enough, get enough one-on-ones, and this team is going to want to make him look pretty good right out of the gate. We did see um, a few wide receivers have success out of the gate recently as rookies, um, none like Justin Jefferson, though, uh, or Jamar Chase, for that matter. But uh, are you buying or selling, Matthew, the interior offensive line of the Minnesota Vikings? They essentially have Ezra Cleveland and Garrett Bradbury on one-year deals, both of them, could be uh, move on or be let go because Garrett's got just the one-year guaranteed. Ezra's entering the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, Ed Ingram, obviously a work in progress over there at right guard. How are you feeling about that group?
1: I think it can be better, but how much better is pretty questionable because, I mean, for one, assuming Kirk Cousins is not traded for Trey Lance, maybe, (laughs) Uh, but assuming that doesn't happen, can you tell I just got done with the podcast making the case that they should do that if they trade Hunter? <laughs> um, but uh, let's just say that doesn't happen. As long as Kirk Cousins is still the quarterback of this team, you still have an immobile quarterback who is going to attract A lot of pass rush from the inside, like the mosquitoes to my little thing that zaps them that I set outside the door every night. I mean, that's just Kirk Cousins. It's who he is. Uh, I think there's a reason why every guard who's tried to play here has had a lot of struggles with him at quarterback. And if you're an opposing team and you look at Darisaw and O'Neal, are you like, okay, I think we're going to have to rush up the middle. So that just adds a lot to that. And their big issue last year, I thought was anytime a team threw a blitz at them or a stunt or a twist, that they just had a lot of trouble picking those up. And that's why I thought it was interesting that Bradbury was saying that their offensive line coach, Chris Cooper, had had such a positive effect on them, letting them kind of have more freedom. Like, was that good? Because it seemed like you missed a lot of those, um you know, stunts and twists and stuff. They're also going to be a pass-first offense, which means a lot of opportunity for other teams to dial that stuff up. If you look at their schedule of interior pass rushers, it ain't nice. It's Chris Jones, the best in the game, not named Aaron Donald. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. It's, you know, Kenny Clark is back and just uh, licking his chops to face Garrett Bradbury again. I mean, you got a lot of teams – um, Grady Jarrett is one of the best in the league that, that they're going to face off with throughout this season. I think it's going to be a really rough go for that interior again, even if there is improvement. Um, I, I just think that the, the schedule they're facing and the way that they play is not something that you can solve. It's really about the the whole though. It's about the the five. I mean, if the five can be in the top 15, then you're pretty good. And I thought last year they were okay. They were improved because the tackles are so good. But I think that it's such an uphill climb for these guards and the shortcoming that they have is not physical. It's really dealing with a lot of those elite players that are quick and the way that defenses attack them. They're still going to give up a pretty fair amount of pressures
0: and sacks. Well, Dexter Lawrence is pretty physical in that playoff (laughs) loss. So that's, that's also a problem, but Garrett Bradbury was coming off a five game absence due to a back injury uh, in that game as well. So he wasn't at his best, but that offensive line was at its best in Buffalo when that was, I believe their 10th straight game together, all starting five. And then that was the one where Darisaw went down with the concussion. And I believe I can't remember. Maybe they started the next game together and then he went down again and that's where it all fell apart. But when they had that continuity, it really seemed like they were going and you talk about the freedom that Chris Cooper gave them. Uh, I remember Bradbury talking about how, and Ezra as well, that, um, They were being coached to actually look to help teammates in terms of, well, if your guy's not free, like this is who you go help. And this is, you know, they call it looking for work and hunting. And like that's basic kind of O line stuff that I wonder what Phil Rauscher and some of the past O line coaches were doing, if that wasn't some of the basic building blocks of pass protection or whatever. So it, it, I wonder where they're starting from or where they started from last year in terms of, yeah. Ezra and Bradbury have been together for three years, but what was the coaching like and what was, what was really going on there? Because it just seemed like some basic stuff that you see other offensive lines do uh, habitually. And the Vikings were just picking up on it. And then, like you said, they still had plenty of issues as well, but once the injuries hit them, um, there was just no patching that, that group together and they they need health because there's no depth there. And the starter group needs to be schemed around as well. Uh, On that note, What do you think in a Kevin O'Connell entering year two? It is an interesting setup for him considering the, um, coach of the year discussion, even though he got really got no votes, but they go 13 wins in his first year. It really seemed like the culture change was a big reason why those veterans could suddenly win a lot of those close games as opposed to lose them under Mike Zimmer. Um, but he made the wrong hire at defensive coordinator, maybe made the switch too late after, uh, the season was over. Uh, Maybe he's got the right hire now. So how are you feeling about Kevin O'Connell as CEO of the Minnesota Vikings?
1: I think that Kevin O'Connell did things last year that will last for a long time or should. I mean, it's football. The Teams win 12 games or 13 games and then miss the playoffs and people get fired. But that this organization doesn't do that generally, uh, right? They were very patient with Zimmer and Spielman, where I think after 2018, there was a good case to can them and, and probably after 2020 as well. And they gave them extra years. But I think that connecting with players, creating an atmosphere where players want to be, um, being generally drama-less, at least this is so far. But I felt like Mike Zimmer drew the drama into himself again, like the bugs to my zapper. It was just like any way that Mike Zimmer could create drama and headlines at the podium or whatever after games, he found a way to do it. Uh, and created by the end a very toxic environment. I don't think that that's the case. I also think that if you are an offensive head coach with a very good passing scheme, which I think we saw develop over the year, I don't think it was perfect last year, but I think that they were a good overall passing scheme. And those things both can sustain you through some tough times. I think this season is going to have some tough times, but you know, when they got blown out, they bounced back a lot of times, um, to win the next game. Like when they got blown out by Dallas, they had to jump right back in and beat the Patriots in a game where their defense didn't exactly play the best and so forth. And I thought we saw the players galvanize kind of around him, but also around each other, which is important as well. Uh, So I wouldn't say stock down. They're going to win fewer games, though. I mean, they're not winning 13 games. And I think winning... 11 games would be a massive accomplishment for a team that is basically rebuilt, uh, especially if they get rid of Daniel Hunter. It is a full rebuild at that point. I don't want to hear competitive rebuild. It is full rebuild because you've moved on from almost everybody. You have a completely young team. And the only guy that's making it not a full rebuild is Kirk Cousins still being here. But your win-loss total, if you trade Daniel Hunter, I mean, it's got to be eight. Uh, I mean, is where Vegas is going to put it. I think Vegas already has it at eight and a half. So I, I kind of graded against expectations and against your timeline and where you're at. This is a step back type of year. And if they overachieve and they win 10 games and they're still in that uh, race for the NFC North, I'll be impressed. Considering all the pressures from, um, you know, defensive ends that they've let walk out the door, uh, the interceptions for Patrick Peterson and pass breakups from Duke Shelley and all those. Like they let a lot of production receptions from Adam Thielen, a lot of production left. And if they can sustain through that and develop players to where we feel like they're going in the right direction, then I would say that Kevin O'Connell's stock actually have the potential to go up after a 13 win season, maybe if they have a positive point differential. Um, And I also think that some sort of, and I don't want to say amateurish, uh, but like rookie mistakes that he made last year, some trick plays, some clock management, some stuff like that, that he can improve on. Um, So I don't think that we judge this just about wins. I think we judge it versus expectation and then vibes. I mean, if the vibes remain strong for this team through a season that is going to have probably more roller coaster than last year, I'll be I'll be impressed because I think this thing could be pretty tough. And I think we're going to get a real look at how he handles adversity because there wasn't a lot last year.
0: No, it was. I think that was part of the issue last year, too. And like, how do you make how does Kevin O'Connell the a first time head coach approach a defensive coordinator who's not calling games or running the defense the way he wants as an offensive guy? How do you make that change when you're winning? You're allowing 400 straight or 400 yards plus in five straight games, a franchise worst in the the illustrious history of the Minnesota Vikings when it comes to regular season football anyway. uh, 400 yards for five straight games, but they've won many of those games. And so that's that's going to be interesting to see when they kind of, if they start to slide in some of these, what seem to be tough matchups in the 2023 season, um, especially too with a defense that Brian Flores, for all his pedigree and everything he's done elsewhere... I don't know if he's had a roster that's got as many question marks top to bottom, especially in the secondary where uh, his expertise is in terms of mixing and matching players and, and generating pressures and uh, disguising things and all of that. Um, we've seen a lot of interesting things out of the secondary and out of Flores that if, if they can make something out of that, Kevin O'Connell is going to get just as much credit as Brian Flores is for bringing him in and kind of revitalizing that defense. So I would have to agree with you there. I think O'Connell did a lot of right things last year, and is if his fault was winning too much, how much can we really blame him for that with a roster that probably should have been more like 10 and 7? Um, speaking of those veterans, Matt, let's move along to Harrison Smith. Um, he's going to be asked to do quite a bit different, uh, quite very different things than he was used to doing last year, but maybe things that he has done in the past under Mike Zimmer in terms of the man coverage and blitz scheme stuff. So where are you at with him as he enters his age 34 season?
1: Yeah, I think that Harrison Smith is probably going to have a lot more fun and uh, we're going to see some more splash plays and he's going to be used the way that he should have been all along making Harrison Smith into a deep over safety. I mean, what are we doing here? What I just, what are we doing? I, I, he is not a deep safety. He's a guy who plays in the box and makes plays. Right. And that's what he's done his whole career. And I thought even for last year, how bad he was used, he still had a good season and I expect a good season out of him, but there's only so long. You can go into your career. I think what Ed, was, Ed Reed, a Houston Texan by this point at the, at the same, uh, age. And I think Troy Polamalu might've been retired by age 34. Like, uh, you know, safeties can go into their thirties, but I also think that uh, every NFL player with the amount of mileage that he has has limitations. So I think that if you use him in the right way, there's a lot of splash plays. This is one of the most instinctual players I have ever seen in my entire life and letting him use those instincts. Note to Ed Donatel is a good idea. And Mike Zimmer did that a lot. There was a lot of freedom that he had. So I think Brian Flores would be wise to give Harrison Smith a lot of freedom and really make him the captain of that defense and the centerpiece of that defense, which could result in more splash plays for him. I think that if opponents find ways to kind of make him in basketball, they call it hunting someone like when they try to get a switch onto a certain player for a one on one matchup, if they hunt him with faster receivers, it's going to be a problem um, because he just doesn't have the same burst that he used to. And I know he said when he was coming back, one of the reasons he didn't retire is he still felt pretty fast. And I didn't think he looked dreadfully slow last year, but he doesn't look like 2017 anymore and uh, neither do any of us. So, you know, I, I think that his stock should be considered to be going up, but how much up is pretty hard to say. I, I think he could still be a big part of this defense. And then there's the other part of how much is it going to matter? I mean, there's just so many people to attack young players, young defensive backs could be a lot of pass rushers who are playing more than they've ever had to play before. I mean, he could have a great season and I'm not even sure that it would have a huge impact on where this defense is at.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of those young players who might not even be on the field, Lewis seen I wanted to get your thoughts on him because We're seeing Josh Metellus, well, we're seeing Cam Bynum still start opposite Harrison Smith. Cam Bynum is one of the few players in the NFL who played every snap last season. And so he's holding on to his spot as a former fourth-round corner out of Cal. Um, He's pretty smart to be able to adapt to this new scheme uh, again and transition and still hold down that spot. But Josh Metellus, a fourth-year safety, has the experience to also have multiple jobs. He's playing nickel. He's playing linebacker and dime. He's playing safety as well and some of the um, second team stuff. And so I don't even know if Lewis Seen is the first off the bench for this defense. It seems like he's pretty clearly the number four. Um, Should people be concerned by that?
1: Not yet. Um, I was just thinking about this today, about a date where I decide arbitrarily that you should be concerned. And uh, well, tell me if you agree with my date. August 15th is my date if he is not playing next to Harrison Smith by August 15th, because after that, I mean, you know, you got maybe one more preseason game or something at that point, but if he's playing all the snaps of preseason and he's back there uh, with anybody except for Harrison Smith, then I think you do have to be worried because last year, the issue was not physical. It was mental. It was understanding where he was supposed to be. And there was this idea that, okay, well maybe Brian Flores will make him this downhill player or something, but there's only so much you can do. I mean, if someone doesn't get it, then they don't get it. And there's nothing you can do as a coach if they can't read and react quickly, which we know that Bynum and Metellus can. Uh, Bynum and Metellus, I think, are two of the smartest football players on this team. That room has a lot of intelligence to it. And I also think that those guys are an argument to not draft safeties in the first round. I mean, they they were what, a fourth rounder and a fifth rounder or sixth, six. six. Yeah. Yeah. And these are two guys who developed over a couple of years to be kind of Anthony Harris ish with both of them. You put them next to another good player and all of a sudden you've got, you know, a decent safety group. So that's kind of why safety is thought of as a little less of a premium position because you can replace it a lot of times with developing a player or free agency. And I think we're seeing that. I think that what they do though, is they set a decently high bar. And if you set a decently high bar, then scene has to top it. He doesn't just get handed that job. And so we'll really know because I don't think Flores is playing a guy just because someone else drafted him in the first round. He's only going to play the guys that he thinks are going to create the best defense. So I'm not at all willing to say yet panic time busts. It's not working out, but similarly to Laquan Treadwell in his second off season, we heard all the things about how he was going to be so much better. And then when he wasn't, it's like, all right, well, this is kind of decided. I mean, if, if you can go into that second year and you're still not even playing, then it's kind of close to being over.
0: Yeah, I wonder how much of this is, you know, the room that he's in. It's He got drafted presumably to be Harrison Smith's replacement eventually, but they come to terms with Harrison to stick around. And then you've got the ascension of Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus at the same time. Um, I think the path is there for Lewis Seen to eventually be a contributor because Harrison Smith is 35 next year. Josh Mattel is a free agent after this year. It is just interesting that I, I think internally I've heard this phrase used um, by their coaching staff. They, they view that as a red shirt year for him and almost view this as a rookie year for Lou. That tells me that they're already viewing next year as really a year for him to get on the field. And this year is the year that he's more of that depth piece, special teams guy, learning how to be a pro year. Um, You heard from coaches on the record, Matt Daniels, special teams coach said um, he's really being more mindful of um, spending time after practice to put the work in. Um, I think there was this air of first round pick from Georgia who had done all winning uh, from high school to college um, had put in the requisite work for uh, places like college, but it requires a little bit extra in the NFL. And a lot of guys have to go through that period of learning that. And then before he could really, well, before he really did get learning that he gets hurt and is, uh, looking at his, uh, femur and, or no tibia and not femur. That'd be worse. Tibia and fib fibula, fibula tibula? what is it, Matthew? So, I'm not a biographer. I'm not either. Yeah. So anyway, he's looking I at a biologist, but, uh, I was, I was hoping
1: you'd get the joke, but, uh, <laughs> So what they're saying about the redshirt shirt years sounds like what people say when they're worried um, that, I mean, look, if you're a first round pick and you're good, you're going to play. And he clearly was not good enough in training camp last year. He was healthy the whole time. He got the whole opportunity. And even when they needed someone to fill in for Harrison Smith, or was it Cam Bynum? It wasn't him. So, I mean, that's that right there is a pretty big red flag. And then not being the guy right away here, I would say it's hovering over that like concern button. That doesn't have to be that way. I mean, that's really up to him. Uh, whether that works out or not. It's just that when I hear things like that, like, oh, we view it as a richer year. Like, is that how you viewed it when you drafted him? Or did you view it as he was going to play next to Harrison Smith and then be good? And that is still, you know, maybe should be your expectation. So no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like to say that his stock is through the floor because he's not out there right now. I just think if we get midway through camp uh, and he's not there, I don't really want to hear like, well, it's really next year. He's really a rookie this year. Like, no, he's not. He was a rookie last year. Let's not play that game because he got hurt in the middle of the season. Uh, He had already come, you know, kind of short of expectations before that. So I think we're starting from that point. You can't just like do the men in black, wash out what we already know about somebody
0: from before. All right. Let's uh, what what do you think about the cornerback group? I wanted to move on and get your thoughts on uh, Caleb Evans. Um, He's the guy who's been starting. He's been getting those first team reps at right corner opposite where byron murphy has been starting at left corner it would seem he's ahead of andrew booth in the pecking order after showing some things last year i thought he was a really strong tackler really aggressive too aggressive tackler uh, obviously because of the uh, three times he was in the concussion protocol um last season that ended really ended his rookie year um but where are you at with him and do you think he can be a viable option for them at that starting spot
1: Yeah, there were times where I was very impressed by him. Uh, There were times I also thought he looked really very much like a rookie, like in Buffalo. Uh, And there were some other times where he had those injuries where, you know, maybe he should have come out of a game after a hit and they didn't take him out. I think what was that the jets game, but yeah, yeah, they should have definitely taken him out before they did. And I think he got smoked on a play where, you know, he had already been hurt. So um, I really like his size and his movement skill. A lot. I think that it's more complicated than that. But um Brian Flores is going to ask these guys to play man coverage a lot. And I think that's his thing. I think just being sticky on a wide receiver, kind of having an idea of where guys are going to go before they go there. And I think he's got a lot of energy to his game. He seems to have a lot of passion for the game when we talk with him it's just so hard to know i mean corners it can be hard to know when you already saw a couple years from guys i mean we went into maybe it was 17 thinking you know trey waynes might get benched like he's just really struggling and then he's a starting outside corner on a number one defense but that didn't really sustain either for, for for his play so year to year with corners is so tough it's very hard to project I would call myself like mildly intrigued uh, by him so far, less so with, as you mentioned, Andrew Booth Jr. And I would say the most actually with Makai Blackman, who's getting his way onto the field with the first teamers, which is something that you didn't really expect for a rookie right away. And I think Blackman could make things interesting in that rotation, um, you know, because he is an experienced player and did have you know, some really good skills that they, that they were looking for, like staying in phase with receivers and things like that. So I'm kind of, intrigued by him the most out of the cornerback group, uh, even though I think there's a lot to find out there. And I don't want to write off Booth Jr., um, but I think with him, I'm a little more skeptical just because he gets hurt so often. And it's not just bad luck like it was for Caleb Evans. And Evans has shown actually on the field some ability, especially the Washington game, to really kind of be a playmaker.
0: Yeah, we did see um, for for fans, just to know, too, how they're lining these guys up. We saw Makai Blackman taking reps in the middle, along with Jawan Williams. Byron Murphy's expected to start there, um, but those three guys will compete for reps uh, and, and really should be the ones that can be versatile in that corner group. It's important to note, though, that Booth at Evans have worked only on the outside and that Brian Flores. Talked about how, yeah, we taught these guys everything in the classroom setting in April, but when we get out here, we're going to limit what they're doing in terms of what they can handle. And the guys who aren't handling a whole lot at this point, predictably, are the 2022 draft class with Lewis Seen staying just at safety, and then those two guys staying just at outside corner. I don't think either of them are really projected to be nickel corners at all anyway, and Makai Blackman was a nickel corner at Colorado and at USC. So he's got that experience to jump in there and do it right away. And somebody who I think will make the roster just based on that versatility.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, this whole group, there's just so much to find out. And when we get to training camp, they've probably got to be number one for the intrigue because you could see so many different combinations right now. Those are the outside corners, Evans and well, maybe Booth Jr. We'll see. But, you know, is Byron Murphy Jr. going to be pushed out to outside corner if Blackman is better in the nickel? I mean, there's a lot of different combinations here, and they talk about trying to kind of find what guys do well, find their identity. We might see more of a rotation because of that. I think that Flores likes to use a lot of different players. We actually saw some three safety stuff, which I feel like has been this mythological beast we've talked about in the past. Could they use the a big nickel? And it'd be like, nah, probably they won't. They, <laughs> but, but I think this time they actually will because uh, he did that in Miami. So yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, intrigue there, I think. And having pretty much nobody except for Byron Murphy being proven and then i think he can be better than he was in arizona because they were a bus fire um it makes that whole group worth watching
0: every day yeah it'll give us a lot to talk about as we roll through mandatory minicamp and into training camp um we'll have plenty of podcasts and articles at startribune.com and matthew over at purpleinsider.com matthew thank you for joining us and i again encourage everybody to go check out his work Uh, matt What are you going to do with all your time off here in the the next four weeks? Oh, I don't know.
1: I'm going to hawk my book. uh, So I'll be doing that. (laughs) Football is a numbers game, by the way. It's pre-order now. So, you know, since you didn't mention it. uh, I'm sorry about that. Tell people where to find it. Little promotion. Uh, Just, you know, Amazon. It's a pro football focus and how a data-driven approach turned to the game. What is it? I'm losing. I'm forgetting my tease. I I just... uh, (laughs) Whatever. It's called football as a numbers game. Doesn't matter. Go buy it.
0: (laughs) Go buy his book. Go uh, subscribe to his website. Does great work with a team over there at Purple Insider. Matt, thanks again for joining. Yep.
1: Thanks for having me, Andrew.